people are going to get a fucking podcast, a long ass podcast. Hello and welcome to a brand new season of the Denalysis Fantasy Football Podcast. Woo! Yeah, woo. Uh, welcome back into my arms, those of you who have listened before. And hello if you're a new listener. Uh, thank you for joining. Please don't leave. Uh, it's going to be great. Without giving you our life stories, I'm Dan, open brackets, your host, close brackets. And this is Natalie. Hi, Nat. Hi. Uh, our podcast is available weekly for the most part. I'm a bit of a football hipster and Natalie is obsessed with Lewis Dunk. Uh, we're not super stats driven as there are loads of great FPL podcasts out there already doing that stuff way better than we could ever be bothered to do. Uh, think of the analysis as more of a passion led analysis. We hope that you get some kind of entertainment out of this, even if we all crash and burn and finish like five millionth in the world, which has never happened before. I, I believe, Natalie, we've never finished that low, have we? No, I've never finished outside like the top million. Hmm. Even when I was terrible and didn't know what a centre back was, I still don't really know what that is. That's the beauty of fantasy football. You don't need to know who's centre back, who's left back, who's anywhere back. You just have the. Is your dog okay? Excuse me, my dog has decided <laughs> to get up and start barking. <laughs> Sorry, I've just checked my lowest ever rank was um 563,409th. Yeah, I've definitely finished outside of the top million. To put it another way, this podcast, as coined by Natalie, is mostly accurate FPL facts and stats shrouded in absolute nonsense. I think that's a perfect summation. Apologies for anyone coming back from last season for the last few weeks of the season. Work got super busy for me and the podcast was the unfortunate victim that suffered. Uh, but we're going to try and be as regular as possible this season. We may miss the occasional week, but you can keep your eyes peeled on our Twitter at The Denalysis uh, to stay up to date when we'll have new episodes. And like I say, we'll try to do it every week as much as possible. Right, enough waffle now. Y'all know what time it is. We're going to kick it off with some very on-brand Denalysis nonsense in a section I like to call Awful New Rules That May or May Not Be Relevant to FPL. So, Natalie, what is new this year in FPL and or football in terms of rulings? So, I think that I read on Twitter recently, and I don't think I made this up because why would I? It's so niche, I can't believe I would have made this up, that players can now rise up to 0.4 million uh, within between game weeks, um, whereas previously this was only 0.3 million. So you always knew that even if someone plays... So say so-and-so plays well and they price rise throughout the week, it was always going to be capped after three price rises. But I believe that now this is four. So really it just means that you need to pay a little bit more attention if your budget is tight and there is a player that you are thinking about getting in. You might need to just be more cautious and conscious well, indeed, we may or may not find out that that's an actual rule. Um, and I don't know when we find out. Like, we just found out when it happens. We find out when we? someone rises 0.4 and everyone burns their houses down because they're in shock. It's, yeah, it doesn't say anywhere, like, what no, the maximum it, is no. now. I swear it used to, though. No, I don't know. General Premier League rules. Obviously, this uh, season will be the first season that... Uh, the Premier League has VARs. So that's quite exciting. One would assume that this may lead to more penalties and also more offsides. So some other rules. 
there are some rules I've left out of here and some rules I've included here. One I left out, which is quite good. I think I left it out. I don't know. I can't bother to read it. Um, that was in the Women's World Cup as well, is that players should leave the... When substituted, players should leave the pitch at their nearest point hmm. as opposed to uh, running all the way over to the bench. Well, yeah, like when you're at the opposite end of the pitch, hmm. you don't have to walk to the like directly to the tunnel or whatever or to your bench. You can come off on your side where, yeah, and then where just you walk are. Around. Yeah, which is amazing that it's taken until 2019 to realise that there are actually four sides to a, a rectangle <laughs> and um, you can jump off any of them sides and it's yes. fine. Yes, someone on an article I read yesterday was concerned that this may lead to uh, fans hurling abuse at players leaving the pitch at various sides and I thought, let me to get the fuck over it. Fans hurl abuse at players all the damn time. I, this is the weirdest take I've ever heard. It's not the weirdest I've ever heard, but it's a bad take. So, some other fun ones. Uh, no attacking players are allowed within a yard of a defensive wall of three or more players <laughs> when free kicks are being taken. Where did you find these rules? <laughs> these are On amazing. The yeah, they're legit as well. They're real. Wait a minute. I was distracted then. Say that again. So, if, if I'm... You're taking a free kick. Yeah. There's a wall in front of you of, yeah. of three or more men from the opposite team. Yeah. I on your team cannot go and stand within a yard of that wall. You can't go and like push them or like call their mum stupid or something. Exactly. I believe the aim of this rule is to stop from pushing and shoving, etc, etc. The question is, will less shots be directly towards goal from free kicks, depending on the position of the free kick, I guess, if there are less attacking players near the direction of the ball. I can't see that having any real impact. That seems like a a subtle rule change. Yeah, people will still take shots, but it's it basically it just stops foul play, I guess. Like people trying, like you say, people like pushing and shoving and trying to sneakily stop the wall from jumping or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a handball one. A goal scored directly from the hand or arm, even if accidental by an attacking player or an attacking player creating a goal-scoring opportunity after having gained control of the ball using their hand or arm, even if accidental, will no longer be allowed. So this coincides with VAR anyway, which would be in use to pick these kinds of things up. But yeah, if you handball the ball anywhere, uh, on purpose or not on purpose, um, you can't have the goal. That feels like it should always have been a thing anyway. But I guess it's going to be easier to determine this sort of stuff with VAR. Yeah, definitely. Which is kind of interesting because actually, can you imagine how much disappointment there's going to be this season with the amount of disallowed goals and like stuff where they pick up on tiny infractions? I'm really interested to see how far they take it. Also, coinciding with that, a player can still be booked for their celebration, even if a goal is disallowed. So if a player takes off their shirt or goes into the crowd... And then the goal is disallowed, they can still receive a booking for that celebration. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this, this all works. I mean, at the moment, I'm starting to think that it's going to be a case of lots and lots of penalty goals and lots and lots of disallowed open play goals. Are you, mm. Do you think it's going to increase, decrease? Do you think it's going to have any real impact? I think we're going to see far more disallowed goals. 
but I don't think the amount of penalties is going to rise as significantly as we're all hoping it does from an FPL standpoint. Yeah. I think there will be more, but I don't think there'll be like, oh my God, there's 10 penalties every week. I don't think it'll be that. Yeah, I suppose a lot of people would point to the Women's World Cup and the amount of slightly egregious penalties given in Mm. that tournament. Um, But one of the things we know about the Women's World Cup and the fact that the women's game is very much up and coming and has a lot less investment in the Premier League is that the quality of the the officials just isn't the same level because, simply put, they don't get paid as much. Yeah. Um, So there is a bit of a situation there where I think the Women's World Cup was quite badly mishandled. The Men's World Cup last year... There were a lot of penalties in that. And I think the Premier League are very aware of this stuff. I actually um, read an article a few weeks ago just talking about how the Premier League are very, very cautious about how they use VAR because part of the brand of the Premier League is it's this amazing, fast-paced, like super physical, athletic league. And they don't want to lose that because that's that's part of what allows them to say this is the best league in the world, whether you believe that or not. That's sort of the the marketing tagline. I do think there could be a a case where there are a lot of penalties early on. So one of the things I I would say is that just from being a football fan, you know, I mainly watch Arsenal because I'm an Arsenal fan, but I watch a lot of games anyway. And I remember feeling aggrieved on many an occasion where there is a clear foul on, on one of our players and no penalty is given. I think what VAR does is it allows those those ones where you're the referee's sort of unsure and they're like, is it just a bit of a coming together? It really shines a light on those sort of moments. And I do think there may be a slight increase, just particularly when you're looking at, at the tricky sort of dribbly players like your Zahas, just having that benefit to to go back to the replay and actually look at it and see if there was, you know, genuine contact that constitutes a foul. I think you could see those sort of players getting a lot more. And I think in the first few weeks, just always, um, I remember in like 2000, the early 2000s, I can't remember what year it was, but they introduced this rule where the goalkeeper wasn't allowed to step off their line, which I'm pretty sure is still supposed to be a rule uh, when a penalty kick is taken. And for the first like three, four weeks of the season, every penalty that was given, whether it was scored or not scored, was retaken because the goalkeeper would step off of his line. And the referees persevered with it for like three or four weeks. But then by that point, everyone thought it was just so ridiculous that they couldn't continue it. It's like you you can't be retaking a penalty three or four times every time one's given. And then the referee, I guess, just gets sick of it in the end when the goalkeeper's still stepping off the line and he's just like, oh, fine, give the goal or or whatever. I think there may be that sort of teething period and we'll see like a an early increase and then it will drop off again back to normal. But that does, I guess... If you go with that narrative, if you go along with that, it does make penalty takers or typical penalty winners like Zaha attractive options in the first few games of the season. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what the FPL rule is about the assist if uh, a penalty is given from a handball. Is there no assist? There is an assist. Um, I got very confused about this. Um... Do we talk about this every year? Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, (laughs) which is why I remember it. Um, So I had an issue with this because it was either the first game of last season or the first game of the season before. I'm assuming it was last season because it was Alexis Sanchez playing for Manchester United. 
and he won a penalty from a cross that like deflected off of two players or something. And this this is one of those that like FPL Reddit goes freaking mental over because they're mm. like, it took two deflections. How can you call that a Sanchez assist? But it was a handball from Leicester, uh, from a Leicester player, an accidental handball. It was given as a penalty and Alexis Sanchez got the assist for it. And it was about the only assist he got all season for Man United. But that was a moment when I remember saying to you, because we were in the pub watching this, and I was like, is that going to be his assist? Like, what? Why has he been given the assist? I don't understand. I swear that wasn't the rule. But no, if you if you cross it, it hits a hand, or you shoot and it hits a hand, it's an assist, providing the penalty taker scores the penalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, the merits of that are debatable, I guess, because there are also different levels of handball. But yeah, that's that's the rule for now. If If you win a penalty from a handball it's an assist and that's one of the other rule changes as well actually this season is this idea that if you're making your body bigger whether it's deliberate or not so this is handball sort of going the other way like defensively Mm. um if in any way you're making your body bigger and the ball strikes your hand whether or not it's deliberate it is a penalty or a foul and previously there was a lot of debate and i think this is going to be an ongoing struggle with football in the Premier League. We've brought VAR in to make everything black and white, but the problem is football is a very subjective sport. There are so many rules that that's a handball to one referee, but it's not to another. And I think what they've done is they've tried to make it less subjective and be like, any any handball where you're making your body bigger, it's a handball, like no questions asked. And then at least the players know. Um, okay, two more quick rules. One kind of related to something you were saying about goalkeepers not coming off their line there's like more of that not like goalkeepers have to be like 100% still before the penalty is taken and they're not allowed to like kick the frame anymore if they kick the frame or touch the frame they have to make sure that the frame is 100% still before the penalty can be taken and I'm like who has time that is such a capitalist rule (laughs) Um, what like yeah the frame can't be shaking or moving when the penalty is taken so hopefully there are no high winds uh, (laughs) yeah like i what do you want (laughs) i don't know i don't know i I genuinely don't understand this this is like such a a weird like over sanitization of something that is just so inconsequential Mm mm-hmm um, talking of inconsequential, something that has literally never happened, but now there is a rule for it. If the ball goes into the opposition goal direct from a goalkeeper's throw, a goal kick will be awarded. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> if if I'm a goalkeeper yeah. and I throw the ball into, into the, other, own... keeper's, oh, no, the, other, into keeper's the other keeper's net, the other team get a goal kick? Because I guess I've handballed the ball into the goal. Do you think that the Premier League are looking to introduce like super performance enhancing drugs or cyborgs into the sport? Because that's the only way I can see this happening. It's never happened. That was that's the gag is that it's never happened. So why is there the rule? Well, because they're clearly believing it's going to happen soon. They're like, it's only a matter of time before someone gets good enough at throwing that they're scoring goals. Oh, I've got some exciting goalkeeper news coming up. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Brace yourselves, everyone. Okay, so as this is, uh, presuming you've, you know, you're listening to this on your favourite podcast app, you'll see that this episode is titled New Year, New Me. And that is a pun, New Year, New Me 3, the the third in the prestigious trilogy. 
Uh, it's a pun that doesn't work so great on audio format, but it probably does work because you've already read it and you already know what's coming. Uh, so I'm going to throw it over to you again, Natalie. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a whale of a time introducing all the new teams this season and trying to convince me that any of them are actually good and worth paying attention to. Oh, okay. I've got it. Yeah. I can. Okay. I- I'm, not, I'm not optimistic, but I'll, I'll listen. Well, I, we all, well, if you're new, you don't know. But if you're, not, <laughs> if you're not new, you know that I'm quite hype on the promoted teams. And I always pick the wrong ones, but I do it anyway every year. Because it's fun. It's nice. It's nice to take a punt. We wouldn't be here with Lewis Dunk if it weren't for taking a punt on these guys. Um, okay, so I actually haven't looked into any of the... One year we looked into managerial styles of the promoted teams. I haven't done that because it's boring. Um, Wait, we really did that? <laughs> yeah, we did. That's mental. Man, we're crazy. We're a wild podcast. I think maybe you and Ant did and I definitely yeah. didn't. R.I.P. Ant. Like, I, don't, I don't know what that is. Um, so yeah, we did, we did do that. So we'll start with Aston Villa. Why not start with the, the most topical news today uh, of, uh, that allegedly it, they've... Um, agreed a deal with Burnley to sign Tom Heaton. And that is such excellent news because now not only do Pope and Heaton not have to fight for a spot at Burnley, Heaton can just slot in, be Aston Villa's goalkeeper, 4.5, get him in, you're done. You can have Pope and Heaton and they both play every week. Glorious. That's amazing. That's worked out so well for you. It's worked out pretty well, apart from the fact that obviously Pope is injured with a groin strain or whatever the fuck he's done this week. I hope he's back for the start of the season. I think it's only a minor injury, mm. so we're all good. We're all good. But like you say, Heaton's covering that that spot. Yeah, you're all good. Exactly. And this but does, yes. are Aston Villa actually good at defending? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> but with Heaton there, they immediately become far better than they were. So in my team currently, spoilers. Um, I have El Mahamadi, just because I have a soft spot for him from previous Hull times. Um, I really respect the man. Last year, he was playing slightly out of position further up the whatever wing he plays, further up the wing. Uh, Depending on how you're planning to rotate your defenders, I and if you're not getting Tom Heaton in, I actually quite rate him as a cheap defensive option, 4.5. 38 appearances in the championship. Only 10 clean sheets, but did get two goals when he was playing further up the the way. And seven assists, which is absolutely fine by me, because I think that's more than Lewis Dunk got last year. Well, to piggyback on that comment, I mean, one of the amazing things about last season was we had Aaron Juan Bissaka at 4.0. And as it stands, it doesn't look like there's anyone filling that, that gap of being an actual good defender at, at that mm-hmm. price who's going to play. So... There is something to be said for, you know, you're going to have to have a 4.5 defender probably. And if he can score goals, if he can get assists, that's good. One of the few tidbits of information I picked up watching the championship last year for like three games, uh-huh. uh, the playoffs, um, was the Aston Villa improved their defence towards the end of the season and started keeping a load of clean sheets. So I don't yes. think they were like full on, you know, Burnley... 16-17 season legend oh, wait no 17-18 mm. season legendary but they certainly turned their attention towards defending a bit more and I think it coincided with them bringing in Tyrone Mings from um 
from Bournemouth, who they, they've now signed on a permanent deal for like yeah. 28 million or something ridiculous. So while I wouldn't be like betting on Aston Villa to be the number one clean sheet team of the season, there was a, a certain amount of acknowledgement that they needed to improve their defence and they did yeah. do it towards the end of the season. So they might they might turn out to be a decent pick. And crucially for El Mohamedy, just a, a point that I noticed is that he only picked up one yellow card all season which i think for a defender is incredible yeah that's pretty fantastic unless he wasn't really doing any defending well that's the thing does that mean he's just very bad at tackling in which case Mm. he's not got to get many bonus points because that's one of the reasons Juan bissaka found himself so high in the bonus points so often is that he just makes so many tackles okay so in midfield jack grealish is the one jack jake Grealish is, is the one Jack, everyone's, yeah. <laughs> everyone's talking about. He did only score six goals and six assists last season and an extra two assists in the playoffs as well. But he did have a 13-week-long absence due to a shin injury. So given the whole season, what could he do? Who knows? He's a midfielder at six million. Why does um, that sound fake? What? A shin injury. I don't know. It, does it just be, sounds it like a made-up excuse. Probably should have worn shin pads. <laughs> yeah, anyway, continue. Allegedly, he's on penalties, which might make him might make him a bit more appealing. Um, I had him in my first draft of my team, and I've taken him out because I don't know something doesn't feel right about it. Yeah, six million is a lot. It is a lot, a... but they're all priced quite high. All of the new. Well, that's the t- problem. Like, anyone isn't it? you'd want from the promoted teams is priced quite high. Yeah, it isn't like Ryan Fraser's seven point five or something. I mean, if you're gonna, yeah, if you're gonna go for someone in that price range. It feels like you may as well go for someone proven, especially considering that Grealish is not a goal scorer. Um, And we don't really... I don't think Villa start with the best fixtures. If I remember correctly, they play... Spurs, Bournemouth, Everton, Palace. Yeah. So maybe you'd look at Bournemouth as like a game they they could potentially win in. But that feels very like... Especially on guys like him, where they're a bit more pricey. Mm. feels like you can afford to give it a few games and see see what sort yeah. of role he's playing because as far as I'm aware like Grealish is he's a very hyped player and perhaps justifiably so but he's also not like he's not the final touch player he's not the one who's going to score loads of goals mm-hmm. and we we have evidence of that with his goal scoring tally so yeah maybe maybe hold fire on someone like him mm-hmm. and then Aston Villa's Club record signing to replace Tammy Abraham, who was their top scorer last season. And Tammy was actually the second highest goal scorer in the championship last season. Uh, is Wesley Moraes. But he's just Wesley in the game. So hmm. don't worry about it. We all know you how to say, to say Wesley. Moraes. He has come from Club Bruges. Uh, 10 goals and 9 assists in the Belgian league last season. Did get sent off oh, 11 minutes into the second game of the season though and i didn't know how i felt about that it's quite soon to be fucking about isn't it that's fantastic wait is this for club bruges yeah last season i respect it he's six million they've stuck him in i assume he'll play because they need to replace tammy i reckon they just slot him straight in how much is he again sorry six million okay so that's like six million is like the new striker price isn't it like it's the same for same for Shea Adams and and a bunch of others. Ten goals and nine was was it nine assists? Mm-hmm. The assist numbers are quite good. The goal goal numbers are not good. The Belgian well, league is not high end. Yeah, I don't really know about his business. 
Yeah. But in that Patreon. that seems like a weird replacement for Tammy. Okay. So speaking of top scorers, moving on to Norwich, the highest goal scorer in the championship last season with 29 goals, which is an incredible insane amount of goals i didn't believe that many could be scored unless you're mo salah 46 games in the championship though this absolutely reeks of player who will be good in the championship and then score like three in the premier league but still i have well yeah a bit mitrovic i assume yeah 29 goals and nine assists are we saying pucky or pookie it's pookie but it's really annoying isn't it what an annoying name i just don't know how to say it (laughs) anyway so he's 6.5, which is a little expensive, um, but I've got him in my team anyway, because 29 goals is undeniable, and really I only need him, if worst comes to worst, I only need him for the first two game weeks, and even then I don't really actually need to play him. Uh, I'm a little concerned that he's quite old, he's 29, but he started 43 games in the championship last season. Yeah. So what, what did you say, 46? So he only didn't play. He missed three, or, or three. didn't start three, yeah. Didn't play in three. Oh, right. So... All of the ones that he was in the squad for, okay. he started. And he plays pretty much the full 90 in all of them. Yeah. So if you want an assured starter... <laughs> Guaranteed, like... That's it. Two points most games. Well, That's nice, isn't it? Look. <laughs> you've got you just got to see. You've got to see what happens. Um, they play Liverpool in the first week away from home. Yeah, so he's on my bench, but that's fine. Yeah. It's no problem. It's no problem. And then Chelsea in week three and Man City in week five. That's not a problem. That's that's the beauty of rotation. Newcastle at home week two, though. Well, that's it. That's the ticket. Come on. <laughs> is, is there anyone else good from Norwich? Like I, Norwich, to me, right, they're a team who historically have been awful in the Premier League. So I already have this inherent bias against them. Um. So a couple other Norwich guys, both midfielders. Buendia who is six million. He missed eight games last season. And of the games that he missed, Norwich didn't win any of them. Hmm. Thus, I'm saying he's crucial. Uh, (laughs) But they did draw five of them, to be fair. So they didn't lose all eight. Uh, But they definitely didn't win. Yeah. Uh, Well, I I will counter (laughs) you. For like the first 24 games that Mustafi played for Arsenal, we had Mm. an impeccable winning record and we didn't lose any. How interesting. I remember at the time... Like discussing with my friend, who is a very, very passionate Arsenal fan, how this guy was like just getting lucky. And I think there's a little, there's an element of sort of rewriting history going on with this because a lot of people point to that and say, oh no, Mustafi was good in like the first 20 games or whatever. He wasn't, man. He he sucked back then too. He was just getting away with it. It was amazing. Like we'd give away four or five big chances a game and he'd just be like, chilling winning every game and (laughs) i remember having to like sort of um what's the word having to like consolidate this with myself like we're winning games but i can see that he's not good like i don't understand what is happening here do i have to get on board and just if we if we keep winning games forever does that mean he's actually a good player i but we obviously stopped winning games with mustafi Mm. at some point so I didn't really ever have to answer that question. So yeah, Buendia scored eight goals and 12 assists last season, which isn't bad, to be fair. Yeah. Um, And then the only other guy who I don't really care for, um, Vranjic? I assume it's Vranjic, but I don't know. What did you say? Sorry, you cut cut it out. I assume it's Vranjic, 
like Rang a it. yeah. Well, look, the problem is that this man is six point five. He might be on penalties, but he did only start eleven games last season. Yeah. However, he still managed ten goals and seven assists, which is quite impressive. That's for not someone bad. who's just like a bench boy, but also in your team, you don't want someone who's just coming on from the bench and maybe or maybe not scoring a goal. Yeah, sounds like a Vran bitch to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and then finally, Sheffield United. Um, Henderson, who is in goal for them, not to be confused with Jordan Henderson, obviously. He was previously on loan for all last season from Man United, but he's now a fully-fledged Sheffield United member of team. Sheffield United had the Championship's joint best defence last season with 21 clean sheets. And Henderson had joint fewest goals conceded per game and the second highest save percentage in the championship. Uh, so he's definitely... And he played like every single minute of every single championship game last season. So he is definitely first choice. I like it. Especially if like, if it gets the next week and Pope is still injured. Fuck it. I'll have Henderson in. I'll have Henderson and Heaton. Fuck it. I'll go for all of the promoted boys. That's my bag. What was the price? 4.5? 4.5 million. This is the only player I would genuinely consider of all like of these. Because that's, that's a fair price. So it depends on a couple of things. Like, they're not going to do 21 clean sheets in the Premier no, League. No, and like, that's there's fine. No way. That's not a problem. So what are your expectations? What do you want from him? If you're going for Edison or like Allison as your goalkeeper, you don't need this guy. You just get like a 4.0 guy for the bench. But like... If you are looking for some additional value, like someone who could be... And it's weird to kind of call a goalkeeper a differential because I don't think... You know, goalkeepers don't score many points over the course of a season. If you compare them to a striker, they'll have like 200... The top goalkeeper will have like 200 fewer points than the top midfielder or whatever. But that said, we have seen with guys like um, Fabianski at Swansea... Like, Swansea were not particularly good defensively, but round about the mid to, like, late season period, having a guy like Fabianski can really, really make a difference because all it takes is a penalty save or them to have one of their games against a a big team like a Man United where that goalkeeper saves, like, nine shots or 11 shots and, and they get all three bonus points even though they conceded two goals or whatever. So I think from that point of view... There's certainly, if you're looking for someone and maybe you don't want to double up, because I know you, for example, you hate doubling up on on defensive players. Yeah. He's a good one to fill that sort of gap, uh, a playing goalkeeper that you could use. And he could turn out to be really, really valuable over the course Mm -hmm. of the season. Because I think, like I said, said a minute ago, you just don't, the value for goalkeepers is different. You don't get like 200 plus points. Um even if you've got someone like Allison, like you're hoping for kind of six points a game. So if he turns out to to have a few games where he gets 10 points or 11 points, that could be amazing. And also I know for a fact that he's very highly rated. So he was essentially going to be like the successor to De Gea at Man United and they've let him go now. But that does that does potentially mean this guy could be onto big things and he could have a really, really strong season. Mm. And something as well, that, like we've talked about VAR for penalties on an attacking perspective, but not in a defensive perspective. Like goalkeepers are going to actually be more 
important in that way if they can save the penalties that the multiple more penalties that they're going to be facing this season that's important as well and I think you shouldn't one shouldn't dismiss that extra level an extra avenue of points I mean it's a it's a lottery isn't it you can't predict when a penalty is going to happen but one thing I would say is who is more likely to give away penalties a relegation fighting team like a promoted team probably more likely to face more penalties so if you're if you're willing to take that sort of gamble and hope that he he turns out to be good at saving them or hope that he just Mm. turns out to be a good save points goalkeeper I I think that's the one place I would genuinely look at my team right now and think I could take a punt on this guy and maybe use him some games the only problem I'd have I wouldn't know when to play him because currently I've I've got like Pope and a gun yeah and I do like both those teams defensively. I think they're good enough to to keep more clean sheets than Sheffield United. But that is just my bias of not knowing... Like, I haven't watched Sheffield United. And even if I had, it would have been the cha- in the championship. So I don't have yeah. any idea how they're going to cope with the Premier League. Attackers, I wasn't really that interested. Like, I just got bored by this point. They, but... How many goals did they score last year? Do you know? I have no idea. I presume it's not a lot. Because I don't think they were their promotion campaign was renowned for being like high scoring. It was like they were too busy saving, keeping clean sheets. I exactly, guess. they were like, "We win one nil, that's fine." Yeah, which which is notoriously hard to translate into the Premier League. Like, it's very hard to be a team that made your name, you know, being strong defensively, and then go to the Premier League and realize, oh god, we can't score goals. Like that's mm. that's a big problem. Huddersfield had that problem. They managed yeah. to survive for a miracle, but like we yeah. saw what happened last season. Mm. Well, I have some things about Sheffield United strikers. So Billy Sharp, who is six million, uh, was the fifth highest goal scorer in the championship last year with twenty-three goals, but only four assists. But he is also thirty-three years old, and that is very Glenn Murray. And I really don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, very Glenn Murray. <laughs> it is though, isn't it? <laughs> Um, so he's also got his mate McGoldrick who is only 5.5 million and appears to actually be the penalty taker for Sheffield United so I don't know how we all feel about that toss up and also they have just signed Mousset from Bournemouth as Ah, well Lease. so yeah so it's a a three way tie for how (laughs) because you can't have three strikers on well I mean you can but they probably won't. So yeah, that's my bit on um, promoted teams. Well, that was illuminating. Thank you. I'm certainly, I'm going to put Henderson on my shortlist. I'm not going to commit to day one, I don't think. I think think I'm committing. I think I've talked myself around today. Okay, who did you previously have? Heaton and... Oh, it's chaos, Dan. So Heaton and fabianski yeah but i don't want fabianski i kind of really he's like 5.0 now isn't he what's that all about let's move on to talk about new signings then uh so brighton have a new manager very excited very excited (laughs) look now chris hewton's gone i just don't care (laughs) he was the only reason i liked that team we were very upset i remember when the news broke and we were sort of clutching our pillows crying over the news that chris hewton had been sacked um especially as Brighton were sort of renowned for being a club that don't really do that but 
I'm very excited by the appointment of Graham Potter because he is he's a bit of a weird manager. He has like a um he has a degree in crap, what was it? Okay. Are you ready for this? Yes. You ready for this? So Graham Potter, he completed a master's in leadership and emotional intelligence. Which, that is some bullshit. That is some like 2019 football shit right there. Imagine like, paying to go to uni to m- master in that. Mate, look at him now. He's a manager in the Premier League. He really impressed her at Swansea despite having a very limited budget and very limited resources. So he's someone that I don't know an awful lot about. Like, um, like I haven't watched him closely, but I know that he's very much a manager that makes sense in, in the modern game. You know, you would have heard a million freaking podcasts and like old men on Sky Sports News saying stuff like, oh, the players these days, they just need someone put an arm around him and, you know, tell him it will be all right. And that is Graham Potter. He knows emotional intelligence, man. He's going to be your guy. And Brighton and Hove Albion are a club who have been in this like weird sort of stasis for the last few years. Like Hewton's managed to, to keep them up, but I think one of the problems with Hewton is that he doesn't really specialise in attacking play. And that seemed to be the issue. Like the players, they didn't have anything to buy into. They were like safe in the Premier League, but Glenn Murray's your main striker and he's not exactly the most dynamic, exciting player. So I can understand them taking this risk now, going to someone who's maybe going to bring a different brand of football. They didn't ever really live up to the potential they had in attack, despite having some quite good players and having a very solid defence. So I'm excited to see how this impacts Brighton and this makes Gross look quite exciting to me. But continue with your your new your new man information. So the big Brighton signing, I guess, is Trossard. Uh, he's a midfielder priced at 6 million. 11 goals and 4 assists in the Belgian league last season. All these Belgian boys, well, not actually Belgian boys, but like... Just just two. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. Well, yeah, uh, it's ha- two more than none. So yeah, that's kind of it for Brighton. That's my feels. Yeah. We'll see how they do. I'm excited. Like I say, I, d- I don't want to get too like in the weeds with Brighton because we have this sort of preconception that they're a bit shit. But I think you just have to... Oh, what their first four fixtures they play Watford away West Ham at home Southampton at home two home games there and three teams that they could get results against that and if you want to take a punt on Gross or Trossard like how much is Trossard 6.0 yeah that's a good price like that is a good mid price midfielder do you know how much Gross is off the top of your head I think he's 6.5 because I'd probably go there instead, just because you know he's going to... Yeah, and, and also he's proven for Brighton when they were mm. in their worst attacking spell. So if Graham Potter does make the difference that, that I'm sort of hoping he does, then it's kind of a win-win, isn't it? Like you you get... You could be onto a real winner, and at 6.5, I think that's a very, very affordable price. But there are a number of, of decent looking six point five midfielders out there, yeah. which is the only problem. You know what? For the next podcast, I'm gonna look up some Graham Potter stories because I'm sure some of the people that listen to our podcast would have heard them before. But he did weird stuff like making his Swedish team do ballet or something. It it's it's kind of mad. Right. But it's pretty cool. I I like people who have outlandish methods. Okay. Speaking of people without outland outlandish methods, I'm quite upset actually 
about the appointment of Frank Lampard as Chelsea manager because it's just a bit boring. I've thoroughly enjoyed Chelsea having managers who are absolutely insane. And I don't really know what's going to fuel my entertainment for this season. Because it's not going to be that, is it? I'd never really thought of it that way, but that is quite a good point. Thank you. Like, Conte was just crazy alpha male. And Sari was kind of the complete opposite, but would like chew cigarettes on the sidelines. (laughs) Absolutely not. And Mourinho before that as well. Yeah. Absolutely nuts. I don't think anyone appreciates quite how crazy a guy who's getting paid like millions of pounds a year is chewing cigarettes on like live TV. That's that's like homeless person shit. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. So I think it's all a bit boring, really. Yeah. Hard. But for the football, I think it will be good. And I'm quite looking forward to seeing how all of the young players get on. Yeah. So that's the thing, isn't it? Like, yes. that's something that Sari did not like. He did not want to play Hudson-Odoi. He had no interest in Batshuayi or Abraham. Lampard, however, the fans love him, so he can be awful and they'll still be like, no, nah, it's Lamps, though. It's my boy. Well, exactly. Um, so Tammy Abraham and Bat- Mr. Batshuayi are both priced at £7 million, as is Giroud, actually, yeah. which is wild. That is That is value AF. Mm, so... Uh, our advice, our joint advice, without even consulting Dan, is wait a couple of weeks, see who's starting, and then get them the hell in. Um, for they think in the second week they play like Villa and Sheffield back to back, right? So yeah. in the third and fourth weeks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was, uh, and I don't. Think oh, Norwich this is, and Sheffield. Sorry, I don't think this is a new or original take, but that was when I looked at the fixtures a few few weeks ago. I just looked at that and I thought that's perfect. Like, I don't have to have a Chelsea player day one. I don't have to take the risk, but mm. it's very, very easy to, okay, Giroud started the first two games. I get him in and they're all priced the same. So it's, yeah, you don't even have to do any surgery to get like X player in or whatever. I'd say the one who is probably the most reliable to get in would be Pulisic just because he, he, he has been bought to play. And how much is he? He's 7.5, which... Okay, midfielder. Yeah, midfielder, which makes it a little bit trickier. But I think essentially, if we look at the way that it's played out before, I could be wrong, there could be a bit of rotation if he doesn't hit the ground running, but we've always seen Willian and Pedro rotate frequently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas Hazard did not. And considering the players they've lost and, and Pulisic being a young sort of exciting player, like... If they have Pedro and Willian either side, I just don't think there's enough pace or, or energy there. So I, I do think that he'll be a main starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the strikers, it's just a question of does he rotate? Does he try and find his best formation over a period of time? Or does yeah. he stick with the tried and trusted? Because the fact that it's Lampard does actually make me think he'll try to give minutes to everyone. Yeah. Especially when you look at how Giroud was used when Sari had him. It was like... Sorry, had two strikers in uh, Giroud and, and Higuain, and he would still ha- uh, start Higuain, who wasn't scoring goals over Giroud. So you do wonder if maybe Giroud is just destined to forever be a rotation option rather than the, rather than a straight up starter. Mm. Nevertheless, don't mean to kill everyone's buzz. Like it, it is potentially really exciting from a fantasy point of view. I, I assume Chelsea fans are excited as well, just because yeah. it's one of. One of their own, as they say. But um, 
I don't think they're going to finish third like they did last season. I think it might be a little bit trickier because of the turnover. And think of how many times last season Hazard bailed them out. I think, yeah, Man United day one, I, I can see them winning that. But it's probably too early to take a risk unless you're going for like defenders. Yeah. The only unfortunate thing about the Chelsea squad is that Loftus-Cheek and Hudson-Odoi are both injured at the moment, like with long injuries. So it's unclear when they'll be back. Hmm. Do you hear about Hudson-Odoi's 100,000 a week contract? No. Yep. Signed a new contract. 100 grand a week. He's played like six games. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. I'm I'm excited. I, I think as just a, a neutral uh with regards to Chelsea, I'm really excited to see how they do this season. Um, the most exciting Chelsea news, though. Rob Green has retired. No, what? That's so exciting. <laughs> That's heartbreaking. <laughs> any any last words for, for Rob Green? Any no. parting words? I think it's for the best. I, you know, I actually quite enjoy Rob Green as a pundit. He's, he occasionally pops up on the uh, the BBC stuff. Uh-huh. And you can tell this guy has just been on holiday for like the last five <laughs> years. He's just like, he goes to clubs just to learn from managers. Like that, he's that's all the he's doing. Like literally the definition of living your best life. Yeah. That's, that's him. Oh, I hope that other goalkeeper as well. Which one? Oh, I want to call him Lee Grant, but I feel like I've made Yeah, no, up. Lee Grant. Yeah. He's at Man United still. Oh, good. Good, good, good. <laughs> I good. hope he's well. He's never going to play. He was, he was good. Oh. He had a good moment, didn't he? Memorable yeah. double game week. I miss him. Good guy. I miss him. Um, I'll run through the other new signing stuff okay. super quick. Um, Jay Rodriguez has joined Burnley, wow. which could be chaos for Barnes and Wood. Um, but also I prefer not to talk about racist on this podcast, so this will be a Rodriguez-free zone. <laughs> yeah, also it doesn't hurt when the player's kind of shit, right? <laughs> yeah, but I do worry that he'll... I don't think he'll start at the start of the season, but I do worry that he'll start getting starts. But I don't really know why they've signed him because they've already got Wood and Barnes. It absolutely reeks of Joe Hart to me. It it doesn't seem to be a signing that really makes sense. I think he was just probably available and they were like, oh, British boy, like he, he gets mm. it. I mean, Dyche, for all his good work, he is a bit of a Brexit boy, isn't he? Oh, he has bit. that vibe about him. <laughs> like he now just you mention it. He just wants a bunch of like English hard men in his team. I'm a little concerned about Palace's lack of defenders or and or fit defenders at the moment because obviously they've sold Wan Bissaka. I, I think they might be in a bit of trouble this year. Um obviously we'll wait and uh, wait and see what happens with Wilfred Zaha. Because uh-huh. today the news has broken that apparently Arsenal, despite signing Pepe, still have an interest in Zaha. And Zaha is a boyhood Arsenal fan. So I I wonder what will happen there, considering yeah. Arsenal apparently have no money. But even even if Zaha stays, which is very plausible, like how does that affect the dressing room? How motivated is he to play for Palace if he doesn't mm. get his quote-unquote dream move to Arsenal or to a, a top six club I I just look at Palace and I think mm, Hodgson is good at, at getting defensive performances out of a unit but it's certainly not a team I'd be looking at for the start of the season yeah so I did originally have Van Arnholt and I've taken him out yeah partly because he's quite expensive at 5.5 it's too and much and partly just because I don't 
I don't believe in the team. I do have Milivojevic at the moment, but if Zaha goes, Milivojevic is straight out. Yeah. Well, that's um, the problem. How do they win penalties if they don't have Zaha? Well, exactly. Yeah, their fixtures to open the season aren't great. They've never really... I, I mean, Zaha carries that attack because... Yeah. Wait and see with Palace, but I... Yeah, I don't think it looks good if they if they don't spend that money that they've got from Juan Bissaka on some good players. Mm. I'd, I'd be a little bit worried about them. Yeah. So is Juan Bissaka at Man United at 5.5 worth anyone's money? No, he's just completely off the table. Are we going to talk about Man United now? Should we do that? If you like. I don't have anything else other than yeah. this. Yeah, so Man United, first off, and this is, again, completely unrelated to FPL, but just something that really annoys me. Um, you remember when Solskjaer first came in and he was all like, Oh, we are Man United. Um, he's, sure. he's still doing that shit. He's still right. dropping that we are Man United line. It's been like eight months, man. You need to stop with the we are Man United thing. Like um, the the news came out the other day, like they're going after Maguire and he made this statement like, we are Man United. We will not be bullied. As like, well, you will, because that's how the transfer market works. Like, you have to pay big money for a guy who's on a long contract. And guess what? Everyone can see that Man United are desperate for a defender and their defense is shit. Like, there is no logic to him coming out and saying this, we are Man United sort of bravado nonsense. And at first I thought he was like a political genius and he was just going to use that sort of we are Man United thing to get fans on side and be like, oh, yes, he's one of our own. Like, he's... He's reminding us of the glory days of what it means to be a Man United player. There's only so long you can repeat that rhetoric and and your players just get bored of it. And they're like, you know what? You're actually kind of a shit manager. And that's where he's at right now. Juan Bissaka is an amazing player. I think he'll individually do well at Man United. Is he a good FPL option at 5.5 for a Man United team that really struggled to keep clean sheets, that doesn't have a settled defence that maybe has, you know, two good players in that defense if you if you just look at the fullbacks. I, I don't think there's any justifiable reason to look there. And I kind of think it's a bit of a shame that Juan Bissaka's gone there because if I was a like a, a elite potential player and I could move from Crystal Palace to a big club, Man United are not the club that I would want to go to mm. in their current state. Add to that they play Chelsea and Wolves in the first two weeks. Um, then it's Palace, Southampton, Leicester, West Ham, Arsenal. Like it's a mixed bag, but most of those games, I'd doubt that Man United could keep clean sheets in. Yeah, I would also doubt they could win them, given that the Pogba situation is still up in the air as well. Lukaku wants to leave. I, I just don't understand what they're doing, and I don't think Oli uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is a. You know, I I could turn out to be wrong, and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer could be the inspiration that United need. Cool. So Everton sold Idrissa Gay this week, which has cut, cut me really deep. But have, I don't know, so this is a genuine question. Have they bought Fabian Delph in to cover that role? Does they, do they do the same thing? I, I would assume so. Like I, I've never really thought of uh, Fabian Delph as a particularly defensive midfielder, but mm-hmm. he did certainly play a defensive role for Man City. That said, playing a defensive role for Man City is very different to playing a defensive role for any other club in the world 
because yeah. Man City just have the ball all the time. Um, I assume it was a case of, hey, this guy works hard. He's a, you know, he's athletic. He's he's the right sort of um, profile and he's cheap. I, I'm guessing that's it. Like, Idrissa Gay, you can't replace a player like that on anything less than like 40, 50 million pounds in this market, I don't think. So it, it makes sense. Okay. Um, a team that I think everyone is overlooking a little bit, although their fixtures aren't great at the start of the season, is Leicester. Oh, yeah. Because no one's really talking about them, but obviously Vardy had um, a far improved end to the season than he did at the start with whoever their manager is now. Brendan. Yes, that guy. And also they've signed Ayoso Perez, who has now been reclassified as a midfielder which I didn't realise, hmm. at 6.5. And also Tielemans is now fully a fully-fledged member of the Leicester team, also at 6.5. And I think those are very good options. The second Zaha leaves Palace, and Milivojevic is out of my team, Tielemans is straight in. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so excited about Leicester this season. And, and this is... I've kind of been waiting for this. Like, a team to really excite me outside of the top six and that's what Leicester are doing now because I think they've got the right manager finally um they had a lot of problems post Ranieri uh Ranieri obviously won the title and then it all kind of went off the rails and then they replaced with Shakespeare and then Puel took over and he just wasn't the right fit he he was trying to move Vardy on Brendan is like the perfect kind of crazy to to fit in that team because he's the kind of guy who really loves to like be in with the cool kids and Vardy at Leicester is the cool kid and the fact that he's gone in and he's been accepted by Vardy and he's like you're you're my main man like the effect that has knowing that you can't get rid of Vardy like Vardy is at Leicester forever as long as he wants to be there because of what he did to help them win the title and the fact that he's gone in he's you know made an allegiance with him it's it can't be understated how important that is. But also, like you say, they've signed really good players. Uh, Tillemans is a player that I'm personally really upset that a team like Arsenal didn't look for, although I'm actually relatively happy with Arsenal's transfer business. He is potentially a, an elite player um, and he looked incredible last season, not only in, in just uh, real footballing terms, but his numbers for FPL were amazing. He got a return almost every single game he played mm. and I I think that's just an amazing an amazing front line now if you've got Tillemans, um Madison Iozo Perez and Vardy that that is a really really exciting front four and very very attacking and they all offer slightly different elements to that attack I think Ios I'm really excited about because He's gone from a very, very functional Newcastle team where their first thought is about defending and he's gone to a Brendan Rodgers-Leicester team with a lot of exciting, pacey attackers. And I just think he'll be so freed up because he's been one of those players like when when I've watched Newcastle, I've always rated him and I've always wanted him in my team, but I've never been able to justify it because Newcastle just aren't very attacking. Perez actually scored more points than Madison last season at Newcastle which is crazy. And as a striker, so no clean sheet points and fewer points for goals. Yeah. 
maybe that that tweaks the bonus slightly but considering madison is very much a hot favorite uh we'll briefly talk about madison actually because i know he's um within the quote-unquote fpl community is a very popular pick and i think he's kind of interesting because one of the things that he does really really well in one of the metrics that he performs really well in is chances created and this is one of those instances where i i look at him and i i I think what like what does that actually mean um the definition of chances created is just a pass that leads to a shot Mm -hmm. um so there's a difference between uh, I think FPL and, and most places use optostats. There's a difference between big chance created and a chance created, which is why you'll often see like stats like chances created will, you'll have loads of weird players in there that you don't expect to be there because they're just passing to someone and then someone yeah. else is shooting. Whereas big chances are ones that could reasonably lead to goals and Madison was never leading that. So I look at him and I think that's while that's a an informative stat to some degree it doesn't necessarily mean that the chances he's creating are good it just means that he's often the last pass before someone takes a shot I think that's more a function of where he plays on the pitch rather than him being like this amazing creative force I do think he's good um I think he has a lot of improvement to do in terms of increasing his numbers and Maybe I'm being a bit biased here because I do actually have a a lot of love for Perez and and Tillemans as players in general. But I think if you're saving 0.5 for either of those, it's got to be it's got to be Perez or Tillemans, and I think they're both equally capable of scoring a, a big number of goals and assists this season. Cool. Well, I'm done on my new signings. Cool. There's just one more thing I wanted to say about Leicester that that I kind one of forgot to when we yeah. Um, just generally like generally speaking they um they're one of the few teams that i think could break into the top six considering the current status of man united and chelsea and you could say arsenal as well but i'm not gonna because i'm optimistic um they i think they actually have the quality and that kind of ties in with your point about people ignoring leicester like Leicester beat Arsenal last year. Leicester beat with Puel. They beat Man City, uh, and they beat Lit. Was it? I think they drew with Liverpool. They beat two big teams, and it was Chelsea. Chelsea was the other one. Um, they beat Chelsea and Man City back to back over Christmas, and I think with a, a better manager now, who's who's more suited to the role and a, a stronger squad, you could definitely see them beating the bigger team. Anyway. On to Pepe. So it's very exciting. Very exciting time at Arsenal. Um, despite basically a whole two months of, of people saying, oh, Arsenal aren't going to do anything. They haven't got any money. 45 million budget. It turns out we're actually going mental and we're playing FIFA with our team and we're just signing everyone and we're breaking our transfer record. And we've signed Pepe and we've signed um, Ceballos on loan, who's actually a very exciting player maybe not so much for fpl uh, although he is only priced at 5.5 but it, it's looking like it could be a potentially very exciting season for arsenal maybe more so from an attacking perspective than defensive so the new signing who i'm not sure he's actually been announced yet i haven't checked twitter in the last few hours but nicholas pepe 72 million 
he outscored Salah last year in uh, the 2018-19 season uh, with 33 goals across the season. Salah got 31, I think. And in general, has just been like one of the most hyped players in, in European football for the past year. Very, very good signing for Arsenal replaces something that they didn't have when they they sold Alexis Sanchez and generally just makes the likes of Aubameyang and Lacazette look a lot more exciting and even Ozil to an extent. The, the news came out today that we're apparently still interested in Zaha which is crazy but if if Arsenal did it I think that'd be even more ridiculously amazing but then you have you have a question about rotation like who is the front does Lacazette get sold does Lacazette end up on the bench do Lacazette and Aubameyang rotate I mean the way I see it Aubameyang is you don't bench a guy who scored you what 29 goals in the league last season you just don't or it wasn't 29 it's 20 I can't remember what it was I, I forget what it was but obviously he was joint top scorer with Salah and Mane um this this just to me, like Aubameyang is priced at 11 million. I suspect that Pepe will be between the 9 and 10 million mark and he'll be a midfielder. Um, it's very, very hard to predict when someone's coming from the French League, having a really great season and a system that really suited him. Is he going to replicate those numbers? But he does also replace something that Arsenal really, really needed last season in that ability to dribble and take people on and do essentially what Zaha does for Palace but in a much higher quality attack so I'm looking at Aubameyang and I'm thinking day one Arsenal play Newcastle um, unless you're really backing someone like Kane to go big against Aston Villa or um, maybe you're starting the season with Aguero instead of Sterling or maybe you're doing Aguero and Sterling um, I think that that day one Aubameyang uh pick looks really really good and I think Pepe is worth taking a chance on if he does come in below if it's nine million or below I think that could be really really valuable um but I would also understand you know if you want to wait and see with Arsenal because there's a lot of change there's you know Ceballos is coming in I assume he's going to be part of what switches Arsenal from being a a three at the back team for the most part last season because our defenders were so bad to being more of a sort of 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1, playing a much more attacking formation. Do you have any any questions? Are you intrigued at all by Arsenal or are you sort of a bit more on the fence, a bit more measured? No, I don't want to go anywhere near it at the moment. No. So as it is a new season, we thought it would be a good time to look at our predictions from the 18-19 season. So 2018-19, top goalscorer, Natalie said Aguero, and I said Aubameyang. And it was actually Aubameyang Salamane. And the reason you said Aubameyang was that you, so you could say, because you wanted uh, Arsenal, I wanted Arsenal to, to win, win something. something. <laughs> yeah, that's why you said it. Yeah, and it came true, just, just yeah. about. Uh, but Salah and Mane both, both got up there, which, which was interesting. Uh, top four predictions who actually finished there, was uh, Man City winning the league, of course, Liverpool second, Chelsea third, and Spurs in fourth place. And both of us got 
three of four. No, I'm not having it. I'm saying but, I got this. Yeah, I no. got three out of four in the correct order. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to say that. I wasn't going to mug you off there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Natalie said Man City in first place, Liverpool in second, Arsenal in third, Spurs in fourth. Of course, the one you got wrong was Arsenal in third, who finished fifth, and it was Chelsea who finished third. Um, I said Liverpool to win the title, Man City in second, Arsenal in third, and Chelsea in fourth. So I got three of the four in the top four, but I got completely wrong otherwise. And it was close. It was, what, one point in it between Liverpool and Man City? So I stand by that. I think that was a good prediction to make at the time. Um, Most clean sheets... Liverpool, of course, finished with the most clean sheets. I didn't remember picking this, but we both said Man City. Best cheap player who does good. <laughs> this was a very uh, subjective, uh, wishy-washy prediction. Natalie said Murphy. Uh, which Murphy was it? Josh Murphy. Josh Murphy. Three goals and two assists. Not terrible. Uh, I said Nathaniel Chalabar, who basically didn't play all season besides like three or four games. And I've just called him Nathan here as well. (laughs) I like Nathan though. It's it's pretty funny. Best new signing. Um, Natalie said Cater. That is, of course, Nabi Cater, who walked away with a pretty paltry two goals and one assist and didn't really play as much as I expected him to. No. Uh, But I also said Mares, who was, you know what? Seven goals and four assists is a lot better than I would have said he did if you'd asked me I didn't realize he got that many but um I think those are both losers from us then uh relegated teams Cardiff Fulham and Huddersfield were of course the guys who actually got relegated uh Natalie said Huddersfield Southampton and Bournemouth and I said Cardiff Bournemouth and Huddersfield so two out of three for me one out of three for Nat uh and possibly my favorite of all of them the team who promised so much and amounted to nothing and Natalie said Wolves, which... Yeah, because they did promise a lot. They did promise that a lot. Thing. That was that was where I was coming at this from. But they, they did deliver. Um, mm. And they're, they're in the Europa League. So good times for Wolves. I said West Ham, which is kind of a weird one because I feel like you could justify it because yeah. there was like the Arnautovic situation. Yeah, um, sure. They did have some good results. Like they beat Arsenal. They... Um, they looked good in most of the, the games against the big teams, but they just didn't really do much <laughs> last season. But they still finished in the top 10. So, you know, what can you do? Mm. Um, and let's do this year's predictions. So nineteen twenty top goal scorer, who do we think? I'm thinking Mo Salah is a risky one because he's Liverpool in general have a little bit of a dodgy situation in that a lot of their attacking players played in the African Cup of Nations. And was still, uh, or or Copper America, like Firmino was playing late into the Copper America because Brazil won in the final, of course. Which makes me worry that those Liverpool players might be prone to injury. Mane, of course, also went all the way in the the African Cup of Nations, uh, all the way to the final. I'm trying to check my own bias here. But I really feel like that that Pepe signing, it's gonna it's gonna elevate my man Aubameyang to new heights. So I'm gonna stick with it. Two in a row. I think I'm gonna stick with Aguero as well. Okay, fair enough. Top FPL points king. In other words, top FPL scorer. Mm. Sterling. Yeah. Did Salah get it last year or was it Sterling in the end? It was Salah last season. It was Salah. 
Mm-hmm. I can definitely see a Salah injury coming at some point this season. Um, one thing I really want to see is teams playing Man City actually playing against them rather than just sitting back and trying to defend. But that does actually make Sterling a much better prospect. <laughs> Part of me wants to say Pepe. <laughs> you can say It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? I'm just picking Arsenal guys now. I'm going to say Pepe. I want it to be exciting. I, I could say Sterling, same as you, but let's let's keep it interesting. Pepe to be the top scorer, which honestly would be crazy because this is first season in the Premier League. And have you seen his legs? They're freaking tiny. <laughs> no, I don't know what this man looks like. Um, the top four. Who's going to finish in the top four in order again, same as last season? Liverpool. Liverpool to win. Yep. Okay. Man City. City in second. Spurs, Chelsea. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, you've done me. Um, okay. I'm intrigued by the Liverpool finishing first thing. I think they'll they'll be sad that they haven't done yeah. it two years in a row. And I think well, they'll, they'll do it. They came so close, uh, close last season and it really just came down to them not winning like that game against Leicester or whatever. So it's clearly doable. I, That's the situation. I think it's doable. The question is, can will Man City drop off? Like, is that even possible? But can anyone else win it? Like, I can't see Spurs winning it. Chelsea, no way. Arsenal, no way. So it has to be one of those two. I just think Liverpool are going to... I hate to say it. I'm going to say Man City, but purely because I think Liverpool are going to struggle with injuries and City just have depth. And then I'll say Liverpool second, Arsenal third. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to go Chelsea fourth. I'm doing pretty much exactly the same as last year. But just switching the top two. I'm going to regret that because I want to believe in Liverpool. But it's going to be tough. Uh, most clean sheets. Aston Villa, of course. <laughs> uh, Liverpool. Okay. Liverpool. Um, is there anyone else? Uh, there really isn't. They, yeah, Liverpool as well for me. I unless they really regress. Like, Allison is great. Van Dyke's great. Uh, and best cheap player who does good. So maybe we can make this a little bit more FPL focused this year. So, where do you think the value is going to come from? Or like a best like 4.5 player or something. Yeah. Should we say 4.5 or like 5.5 and under or something? Mm-hmm. Right, 5.5 and under. Uh, I mean, I'm going to say Sheffield Henderson. <laughs> I, I was just thinking that would be so cool if that was his actual first name. What, Sheffield? Sheffield Henderson. That sounds badass. He sounds like a cowboy. I want to believe in Obafemi because I'm very... Very high on Southampton, but I just don't think he'll play enough because they've got that Che Adams now. Mm. Um, I think Shane Long will play a lot as well. And they've signed Ings permanently. And Ings, of course, that's the other one I was thinking of. You know, I do think Dendonk is a good shout. He's he's a good value player. Uh, he I did have him in my team until I made it a bit more like midfield heavy. I'm going to go. For Shane Long. Shane Long to have a big season under the... Oh, wait, no. (gasps) Origi. (laughs) 
Oh, yes, Origi, sign me up. Charlie was having a go about people getting Origi in their teams yesterday. Yeah, so just to clarify, I'm not saying you should get Origi because he's not going to start the season. There's going to become a point where Origi becomes an important player. I mean, it happened last season, didn't it? Like, he kept coming off the bench and scoring goals. But I think there's going to be an injury and Origi's going to be relied upon and he's going to be a real value buy at some point. And I'll probably have him in my team because 5.5, good value. Nice. Yeah. Into it. Oh, okay. That was good. That was good fun. Um, And relegation. Who's going to get relegated? Oh, um, oh, let me look at the teams. Definitely Norwich. You're not big on Norwich, eh? And also Newcastle. Yeah. And probably Brighton. Norwich, Newcastle, Brighton. Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> because of the betrayal. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> hands down Newcastle. There's no way they stay up here, uh, stay up this year, to my mind. Um, elsewhere, it's actually a bit hard to call. I think it's kind of too early to say Palace, but I, I am looking at them and thinking they're potentially in trouble. Uh, I think Southampton, Bournemouth, Burnley will all be okay. Watford will be more than okay. I think Brighton will do better than they've done for years. Um, Villa and Norwich both look sketchy to me. You know, Villa have done that thing that Fulham did. They've spent loads of money on loads of new players. I, I know that some of them like played last season for them, but yeah, it kind of stinks to me of you, yeah. that, that situation of just it not working Sheffield United my second team because I just don't think they'll have the quality in attack I think they'll have a a similar fate to Cardiff where they'll show a lot of heart but they just won't have enough and I'm really on the fence about Norwich for me the third team is either Norwich um, Palace or Aston Villa I'm gonna say Norwich I don't think their championship fortunes will translate to the Premier League unfortunately so that's it. If you're still listening at this point, if you've gotten this far, oh my God, Friday night Liverpool versus Norwich. Get your team in by Friday. Well, the chaos is I think I'm going to have to captain Salah. Yeah, I- I've currently got Salah as my captain. I don't. Obviously, I don't like it. Uh, so, uh, and, and we said this last year, but obviously if you're a new listener, you you wouldn't know. But I think day one of the season, it's not the day to be clever like Salah captain if everyone's doing it against Norwich it just makes sense um maybe you like the look of Kane against Villa I'm not personally on board the Kane train I think he's I think he sees himself as more of a creator these days than a a striker but yeah day one you got to play that ownership thing like people are going to have the popular players like your Canes and your Salahs and your Sterlings captain then you kind of have to play that game uh but do you want to do you want to tell me about your team what's going on right now so I'm quite set on everything other than goalkeepers as discussed earlier I'll start at the back so I've got Laporte and Robertson and those two I see I plan to play every week Mm. and then I have Dunk, Kiko Firmenia and El Mahamedi just as like stock 4.5 players um Dunk I'll definitely keep the other two I don't know 
I might switch him out for other stock 4.5 players. <laughs> um, in midfield, Salah, who will play every week. And the same with Fraser, pretty much. Then I have Milivojevic, who I think actually now I've just convinced myself I will take out and Tielemans will go in. Yeah. I also have Ward-Prowse, and I'm not really sure how I feel about him. I might just see how the start of the season goes, mm. but I don't know. I think it won't be that fruitful, actually. Yeah. And my fifth one is just kind of... The fifth one is based solely on fixtures and penalties. Mm. And my fifth spot currently is Mark Noble. Yeah, I had Noble in one of my earlier drafts and it was it was penalties. That was basically the vibe. And the fixtures, apart from obviously Man City in the first yeah. game week, the fixtures that follow are 100% all right. I don't actually think it's a bad shout. And I also think that West Ham have gotten rid of Arnautovic that was clearly not a good guy to have around so yeah. I think they'll be improved this year and they actually signed um we didn't mention it earlier but they signed a, a new striker called I think his name is Ale as in H-E-L-L-E-R but he's, oh, yeah. he's yeah, French yeah, yeah. uh so it's Ale and he had a really really good season last year a really good goal scoring season got like 20 plus goals so I think he's actually an interesting one to look at um, just with West Ham, not day one because they play Man City. And Mm. if you want to be competitive from day one, probably don't go for players who are playing against Man City. (laughs) Uh, And then up front, I have Aguero, uh, who stays every week. Mm. Uh, Chris Wood, because he's had quite a good pre-season. And the, the fixtures... Like, they're up and down. But I'm just quite interested. I'm willing to take a punt. And also Pookie. Yeah. And one of Wood or Pookie will come out in game week, ahead of game week three for whichever Chelsea yeah. ladder stick in. Yeah. So my team I've kind of looked at, firstly, I'm very aware of my own biases. I tend to just want all of the Arsenal players. And I know that's not always the smartest thing. So I currently have Zaha in my team because I thought he was signing for Arsenal. <laughs> he might still, who knows? Um, but also for penalty reasons. Uh, but yeah. from back to front, I've got Angus Gunn and Nick Pope. I like to rotate because it just makes it more of a fun game for me. And I like to try and find value. Uh, you know, I love to try and play for those weeks where your goalkeeper can get 10 points. When yeah, your goalkeeper is Allison or Edison, your ceiling is usually like six points. And, and yeah. they'll do it most weeks, but it's just a bit less exciting. And... If you have two 4.5 goalkeepers, it's cheaper than having a 5.5 and a 4.0. And that 0.5 to me, with the way I build my team, is always important. I've got Robertson and Van Dyke because last season I put off going with two Liverpool defenders at the, the back for a long time. And I ended up just being annoyed that I didn't do it earlier because I could have got a lot of points. And there was that game where like Robertson and Van Dyke. I think Robertson got like three assists. Van Dyke scored two goals and I missed out on that. And I was like, oh, I'm so annoyed. So I know they're pricey at 7.0 and I think 6.5 respectively. But with the first game being Norwich and generally speaking, their first five fixtures being pretty kind. uh, It's Norwich, Southampton, Arsenal, Burnley, Newcastle. They could easily keep three or four clean sheets there and I just think it's worth paying the money 
uh, especially at the start of the season where everything's a bit in flux and you don't quite know what's going on. I've also got yeah. Luca Dean, hmm. which is interesting considering I was fairly anti this guy last season. Yeah. But I think in the in the cold light of day, I looked at him and I thought he's better value than someone like is is Laporte six point five? Yeah. Yeah. So I would have gone for Laporte if he was like five point five, six point oh. So then why don't you go for Zinchenko? Because I don't know for sure what the vibe is going to be with Zinchenko. I mean, I'll keep an eye on him. I might look at him. But I do I do like Dean as a player who can clearly score goals. Um, like, it's one of those weird ones where I think statistically he is good. Uh, so he, he tends to show up in the bonus. I don't love Everton, but I feel like they showed a lot of improvement late last season. And it seemed like... The team started to get what Marco Silva wanted. And I think that Luca Dean is one of their main attacking assets when it comes to putting crosses in the box and um, just taking random long shots that he sometimes scores. At 6.0 and with their fixtures being fairly kind early on, like they're not the most amazing thing I've ever seen, but Crystal Palace away, Watford at home, Aston Villa away, Wolves at home, Bournemouth away, Sheffield United at home. Yeah. There's a lot of games there that I could see them profiting from. Whereas City for the first two weeks, like West Ham and Spurs, I'd probably be happy to to go for someone like Dean and see if someone like Zinchenko is is in the starting lineup like going forward. Uh, so that's my, my defence I have on the bench at the moment. Kiko Firmenia and Issa Diop. I had to go back to Diop because he's my guy and I think West Ham's fixtures after... After day one, actually, aren't too bad. Yeah, no, they're good. Yeah, they have Brighton, Watford, Norwich and Villa. And I'll probably watch and see how they do against um, City defensively. Although I don't think that's really comparable to them playing Brighton. They might take the foot off the gas defensively a little bit, but you never know. Yeah, I currently have a five in midfield. Um, Salah being my most expensive and he is currently my captain. I have... David Brooks, Zaha, Redmond, and Perez all at... Brooks is out for 12 weeks. Yeah, so I just saw on the player availability thing that he was he was out. I didn't realise it was 12 weeks, but that's good yeah. because I was having a real problem uh, deciding who to play in midfield because I really wanted Perez. I really wanted Tillemans. I really wanted... Um, who else was there? I really wanted Pascal Gross. And... This makes it quite easy for me to just switch to Pascal Gross. I feel like I may be making a a mistake by not having just like two bench boys who don't play and maximizing like my my starting 11 value. But I just love... I don't like that. I like a whole... I need my whole squad to be playing. Yeah, there is an element of me liking that flexibility of being able to like sub in a player that I like or, or take some weird punts in, in some situations. And this is arguably one of the most balanced teams I've ever had for day one of, of the season. I might look to get Pepe in. That might happen, but I probably won't because I don't think I can afford it. Redmond, I really like the look of from last season. And like I say, Hasenhutl, I've been very impressed with with his management of Southampton. I think it's made Redmond look more of a threat. He, as far as I'm aware, had his best goal-scoring se- uh, goal season ever for Southampton, and he only started getting good and scoring goals about halfway through it. So um, 
that's exciting. Same sort of thing with Perez. Aubameyang and Delafeu are up front. I think Delafeu at, what, 6.5 million? I think that's a good price. Yeah. I think he's established himself as sort of the main man at Watford now. He is another player who also had his best goal-scoring season ever uh, playing for Watford last season, and it coincided with him finding a new role in the team. So, But also Watford's fixtures in the, the beginning of the season are fairly decent like Brighton at home Everton away West Ham at home Newcastle away alternatively I'd be looking at Callum Wilson and at 8.0 he's just too much um Aubameyang obviously I love him I there's no way I wouldn't go for him that's just my bias talking and I have Che Adams on the bench who he's at 6.0 I have no idea if he's gonna start I hope he does uh I know he's just been quite a hyped sort of young player he did really really well in the championship I believe he scored something like 26 goals he seems like the right kind of player for a manager like Carson Hootel but that's if Ings was getting the starts over Adams would you swap he I think Ings is 0.5 more isn't he no is he 6.0 Six. as well oh mm-hmm. uh, see I probably wouldn't just because I do not trust Ings to play more than 45 minutes a season I just feel like he's going to get injured immediately. And I don't actually think he's that good either. Cool. Um, yeah, that's that's my team. So I'm hoping I'm hoping it's going to be good. Neither of us have Sterling. What are your thoughts on Sterling? I would love to have him, but I don't want him and Aguero because then I can't have Salah. Okay. So, so your issue is the double up, not mm, Sterling specifically. It's, it's wanting a Liverpool attacker and wanting a City attacker. Yeah. And the best way to do that, I think, is to have Salah and Aguero rather than to have Salah and Sterling, I think. There aren't really many forwards that I want. Yeah, because that's the problem, right? Like, I've seen so many teams uh, that just don't have a premium striker. And I understand that from a sort of logical point of view. But also, I just don't know if you can do that. I mean, you, you need to have the flexibility to bring a big striker in. But just looking at... Abamyang's totals for last year and Aguero's and you just I, I don't know if Jimenez is going to be as amazing this season I mean they've got Europa League to contend with I mean you could look at guys like Wilson Vardy Rashford Rashford I wouldn't personally but like yeah it just seems weird to me like when you've got a guy who's as prolific as uh as Aubameyang was and as Aguero was the idea of not having any of those sort of strikers seems weird. But then I do understand the, you know, Sterling and Salah, they effectively play as strikers. Right. Um, so, yeah, we've got, what, like seven days, eight days until the start of the season? It's come around mm-hmm. so quickly. Um, I just have one final thing to wrap up on, really, and I'll do okay, it really sure. quick. Clean sheet cut. Oh, God, I forgot we even did this. So when we stopped last season... You were on 10 points and I was on 11. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. Um. So would you like to pick a team for this? Okay, for day one. For the first game week, yeah. It should be Liverpool in theory. But is that just kind of, you know, day one is always a crazy goal fest, right? That's just something that happens. But I'm looking elsewhere and I'm like, oh, I'm going to say Arsenal because I think Newcastle are just in such disarray. Um, that they won't be able to score. And I think it, it should logically be Liverpool, but it's day one. Norwich will probably score in the first minute. 
I'm going to say Burnley against Southampton. Yeah. You're not risking the Liverpool one either? Nope. Nah. It's too much. Too much. Right. Okay, so that's it. That's a, been a nice long one. It's been a long time since we podcasted. But it's been fun. It's been nice to get back to back to the old uh, the old microphone, whatever. I'm very tired now. I'm very sleepy. Okay, um, you can follow us on Twitter if you enjoyed this podcast. You can also give us a five-star rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it. Um, you can subscribe to our podcast feed. We'll, like I say, probably be doing podcasts every week, but maybe missing a week here or there. Um, at the Denalysis to follow us on Twitter. And you can email us too at hello at the com, and we try to check that weekly but we always forget and last but not least you can find our denalysis domestic private league on um oh, yeah. on our twitter page we'll we'll put out the code on there we'll do a little post about it and you can join our league you can compete for the top prize of being a denalysis legend it's been a pleasure thank you uh natalie for your time uh thank you listener okay. if you've gotten this far We've really backloaded the content with uh, backloaded the podcast with high quality content, and we will see you probably in about a week's time when we do like a first first week podcast, looking back on all the all the happenings of of game week one. All right, have a great weekend and week, everybody. Peace out. Hit us up on Twitter, like our uh, rate our podcast, blah blah whatever. See you later. Bye. Bye.